Hello everyone and welcome to the Strange Matters podcast. Here at Strange Matters we discuss everything that is bizarre, mysterious, and unexplained. I am Sean and I will be the host for this discussion. On today's episode we will be discussing some of the strangest ways that people have died. Now there are literally thousands and thousands of ways for people to die, whether it be medical, nature, violence, or just some freak accident. Many deaths are sudden or painful or heartbreaking. On the other hand, some ways that people have died are just weird, unexplained, or hard to imagine actually happening in real life. And since we here at Strange Matters like to look into this weirder side of things, today we present a handful of deaths that we find particularly bizarre and unusual. Some of these deaths will be mysterious, while others are sudden and disturbing, and some that are just plain damn weird. So let's get started. The first strange death that we will be discussing is spontaneous human combustion. Spontaneous human combustion is a term used for reported cases of when the body of a person, either living or recently deceased, goes through the process of combustion without an apparent source of ignition. So basically this means the person's body suddenly bursts into flames, so to speak, and pretty much just ignites into ashes without any obvious fuel source or reason. For some of these unusual deaths, the fire is believed to be started from within the body. So author Larry E. Arnold, who wrote a book about the subject called Ablaze, has found around 200 cited reports of spontaneous human combustion over a period of 300 years. As for the process itself, there are some usual similar characteristics found in most cases of combustion, as most of the recorded cases have several things in common, such as the victims are often chronic alcoholics, usually older females, the hands and feet usually fall off the body, most of the time relatively untouched by the flames, and the combustion of the person usually leaves a greasy residue of where the body was, leaving nothing but a pile of ashes. And it is often reported that there is a horrible smell associated with this event. Now, one of the most unusual traits of victims of spontaneous human combustion is that the extremities often remain intact, though most often the face and upper torso are often burnt beyond recognition. The hands, feet, and other parts of the limbs may be entirely unscathed. Also, in a good number of cases, the rest of the room and objects that were around the burnt remains show no sign of damage by the fire or heat at all. Now, as I mentioned earlier, there are several hundred reports of a spontaneous human combustion. But the first known account of this death came from a Danish anatomist Thomas Bartholin in 1663, when he described how a woman in Paris went up in ashes and smoke while she was sleeping. What's so strange is that the straw mattress that she was sleeping on was unmarred by the fire. For several more modern cases, the body of 92-year-old Dr. J. Irving Bentley was discovered in his Pennsylvania home. Only part of Dr. Bentley's leg would be found, because the rest of his body had been burnt to ashes. A hole in the bathroom floor was the only evidence of the fire that had killed him. There were no other signs of fire or heat anywhere else in this house. Another case, Henry Thomas, who was a 73-year-old man, was found burned to death in the living room of his council house in South Wales in 1980. His entire body was incinerated, except for a part of his skull and a portion of each leg below the knee. His feet and legs were still clothed in socks and trousers. Half of the chair in which he had been sitting in was also destroyed. Now, for a long time, spontaneous human combustion was a complete mystery. No one knew exactly what caused it. But there have been plenty of theories throughout the years. 
Larry Arnold, the author who I mentioned earlier, believes that a new subatomic particle called pyrotons are the cause of this strange phenomena. These pyrotons can interact with the cells in the body and create a chain reaction of many explosions. He also wrote that a large amount of alcohol in the blood or high levels of stress could cause the body to spontaneously combust without the need for external oxygen. However, there is no real chemical mechanism in place to account for his reasoning, and no real scientists take his claims seriously at all. Another more modern and popular theory is that a fire is sparked when methane builds up in the intestines and gut and is basically ignited by enzymes in the body. The problem with this theory, though, is that a good number of victims of spontaneous human combustion showed greater damage on the outside of the body rather than their internal organs. So this explanation wouldn't apply to all cases. Also, the scenario of methane igniting inside a person's intestines has not been proven to be possible just spontaneously out of the blue. Actually, cigarettes are believed to be a leading culprit in the deaths of many of these cases. In fact, cigarettes are the cause of 25% of fire deaths in the United States. You could have a person who is just extremely drunk and intoxicated, or maybe they're suffering a medical condition like they're having a heart attack, and they drop a cigarette on their body or onto a nearby ignitable material, and just leave it there and it starts to burn, and the person is basically unable to move or react when they catch on fire. A modern team of forensic investigators believe that these victims of spontaneous human combustion were caused by near sources of ignition, such as the cigarettes I just mentioned before, or perhaps candles or nearby fireplaces. They believe that many times the details of such ignitable objects were left out in the reports from the earlier 18th and 19th centuries, as the writers and reporters of the time were trying to make the death seem more mysterious. These investigators show that there was a correlation between the victims of combustion and their state of impairment due to alcohol, which would cause them to be careless around fire or basically and unable to act if they were caught up in a blaze. They believe that the majority of victims died due to what is called the wick effect, in which materials in contact with the body, such as clothing or chair stuffing, start to burn and then they melt the fat in the body. Basically, this just causes the fat to liquefy and destroy more of the body in much the same way that a candle works, hence the name wick effect. This theory would also explain the greasy residue found at many of the spots of death, as it could be caused by the victim's fatty tissue burning. Now, this latest theory is probably the most likely, as it has more evidence supporting it than some of the others. Unfortunately, since there aren't all that many cases, we still do not know for certain what is the exact cause of these deaths of spontaneous human combustion. I will say as an ending thought that this death absolutely scared the hell out of me as a kid. I remember when I was real little finding a book and had several pictures inside of it of people who have died from spontaneous human combustions and these were all black and white photos but basically it was just a pile of ashes and maybe like a foot or an arm and that was the only thing left of the body. Since I was a kid, I thought that there was a real danger that people could just spontaneously burst into flames at any time. So needless to say that this type of death has stuck with me for a long time. And that's why I think it's one of the strangest ways that people have died. The next topic that we'll be discussing is the people who died during the Dancing Plague of 1518. So this subject is part of a category known as Dancing Mania. But for this part of the episode, we'll be focusing primarily on the Dancing Plague of 1518. 
This dancing plague is one of the strangest cases that I have researched up to date. To summarize quickly what happened is that in the year 1518 in Strasbourg, which was located in the Holy Roman Empire, a case of this so-called dancing mania took control over many of the population. Over the course of about a month, hundreds and hundreds of people would just randomly run out into the street and begin dancing non-stop for days at a time without rest, causing several people to die of exhaustion, dehydration, or heart attacks. Before we get into the specifics of this case particularly, dancing mania was not an isolated incident. This bizarre social phenomenon actually happened several times, mainly in Europe during the Renaissance period between the 14th and 17th centuries. Now it almost appears like it's a scene in some kind of goofy musical film, where entire crowds of people would just suddenly feel the insatiable urge to begin dancing nonstop. It's basically what would happen if the cast of The West Side Story couldn't stop themselves after the director yelled cut, but continued just to dance and dance until their bodies basically shut down. So one of the first major recorded events took place in Auction, Germany, in 1374. Though no one at the time knew for certain what was causing this strange behavior. Even in modern times, there is no clear reasoning as to what caused these events. Several time musicians would come to the scene to try and ward off the mania, but this sometimes had the opposite effect, instead drawing more people that would be swept up in the frenzy and join in on the dancing, and sometimes even the musicians themselves would put down their instruments and join in the mania. So whatever caused this dancing fever will most likely never be known, as this strange phase ended pretty much suddenly in the 17th century and hasn't been seen on this type of scale since. So now to go back to focus on what is the more famous incidents of dancing mania. In July of 1518, a woman named Mrs. Trophia suddenly began to dance fervently out in the streets of Strasbourg. In just a week's time, 34 other people had joined in and began dancing like crazy. And within a month, it is reported over 400 people, mostly females, were caught up in this mania. It is reported that Miss Trophia herself would dance up to six days non-stop. As this so-called dancing plague began to sweep up more people to partake, some of the dancers began to die from their non-stop frantic movements. This bizarre event was written about in numerous historical documents, including physician notes and even memos from the city council. It is made clear that these people appear to be dancing, not shaking or having spasms. I've heard other people talk about this event, and they think that they were suffering from some type of seizures or something medical. But I'm sure people at the time were smart and experienced enough to know the difference between involuntary spasms and actual dancing. Author and historian John Waller concurs, saying that historical records documenting the dancing deaths all are, unam are unambiguous on the fact that the victims dance. These people were not trembling, shaking, or convulsing, although they were entranced. Their arms and legs were moving as if they were purposely dancing. Now on to what possible explanations caused this weird event that led people to literally dance to their death. No one who witnessed this crazy event could come up with any solid ideas or reasons why these people were suddenly dancing. Some physicians at the time blamed the mania on people being hot-blooded, whatever that's supposed to mean, but rather than bleeding them, they suggested letting the victims just dance it out in order to purge the illness, so to speak. Obviously, this treatment didn't really work since numerous people ended up dying. Other more reasonable explanations for this event include stress-induced psychosis, 
as many in the region were suffering greatly from famine and were forced to beg. A good number of people were dying from starvation all the time. Of course, this explanation has its holes as well, for if these people were on the verge of starvation, how did they possibly have the energy to dance nonstop for days at a time? A man named Paul Walsh wrote an article about this bizarre account, and he wrote that those who are caught up in the mania should have died of dehydration at no more than three days. But many, including Frau Trophia, who started this whole craze, supposedly danced for almost a week straight. Wallace writes that this type of physical assertion shouldn't be humanly possible. Not even marathon runners could pull this off. So how did a few hundred starving villagers do it? So unfortunately, we may never know what caused this mysterious dancing craze, but the Dancing Plague of 1518 is definitely one of the weirdest events I've researched and one of the strangest ways of dying that I could come up with. The next series of deaths that we will be talking about involve people literally drowning in a flood of food products. So we will be discussing the Boston Molasses Flood and the London Beer Flood. So the first event we'll be talking about is the Great Molasses Flood, also called the Boston Molasses Disaster. Kind of a tongue twister. This flood occurred on January 15th of 1919 in Boston, Massachusetts, and the United States. After a storage tank burst open, a huge amount of molasses suddenly spread like a sugary tidal wave in the North End neighborhood. Over 100 people would be hurt from this disaster, and unfortunately 21 people lost their lives drowning in this sticky substance. This bizarre calamity happened at around noon, when a large tank filled with molasses suddenly collapsed. This tank was 50 feet tall and 90 feet in diameter, and it was holding over 2 million gallons of molasses. To give you an idea of how big this tank was, the average water tower that you'll see outside usually carries around 1 million gallons of water. So this thing was over twice the size of your normal water tower. And after this tank fell, it burst open and unleashed a huge torrent of this viscous liquid. Now, some of you listeners may be wondering exactly how could molasses possibly kill anyone. If you have ever used molasses or poured it out of a bottle, you know just how slow it is. When I first heard of this disaster, I thought it had to be some kind of joke. I mean, come on, how the hell are people going to be caught out in the open by a spreading molasses? Well, it turns out that this sticky mess made for a pretty formidable wave of destruction. As the tank split open and the molasses erupted out, it created a thick wave that crested as high as 25 feet and poured out onto the nearby streets and alleys moving at 35 miles per hour. So basically, if you were standing within a block of this thing as it fell and couldn't run to safety immediately, there was no way that you were going to outrun this molasses. This spreading pool had enough force behind it to smash several nearby buildings off their foundations and crush them completely. It knocked a railroad cart off its tracks and destroyed basically everything in its path on the street. If you look at pictures of this Boston disaster, it looks like the neighborhood was hit by a hurricane or a tidal wave or something like that. A report in the Boston Globe at the time stated, Molasses, waist deep, covered the street and swirled and bubbled around the wreckage. Here and there struggled to form. Whether it was animal or human being was impossible to tell. Only an upheaval, a thrashing about in the sticky mass, showed where any life was. Horses die like so many flies on sticky flypaper. The more they struggled, the deeper into the mess they were ensnared. Human beings, men and women, suffered likewise. In the aftermath and cleanup of this sticky mess, it was found that around 150 people were injured and 21 people died. Some were killed by being thrown through the air from the blast of air as the tank burst. 
Others had pieces of debris from the tank and nearby objects smash into them. But a few unlucky souls were caught up in the spreading wave of molasses, simultaneously being crushed and drowning. Personally, I can't think of a more random way to go. You're just minding your business walking around the city street, and then all of a sudden you hear a crash, and you see this massive wave of thick, sugary goo coming at you full speed, or at least as fast as molasses can move. I can't even guess what was going through these people's minds and their last thoughts as they realized they were being drowned in this thick, sweet substance. The next strange drowning death that we will be discussing is the London Beer Flood of 1814. And in honor of these people, I will have a beer right now. On October 17th, at the Mew and Company Brewery, a vat of beer suddenly ruptured, which caused a chain reaction that saw several other vats bursting open as well. The sound of these large wooden vats exploding was so loud it could be heard as far as 5 miles away. After these tanks ruptured, nearly 1.5 million liters of beer was suddenly flooding out into the nearby streets. This rushing wave of beer crushed two houses nearby to the brewery and killed a teenage girl who was killed when the beer wave smashed over the wall of a local pub. In another nearby house, the beer suddenly burst in unexpectedly, drowning a mother and her three-year-old son. One of the workers at the brewery just narrowly managed to pull his own brother to safety before he was pulled under the torrential flood of ale. Now, though this event is quite tragic in that people died, it did have a few funny after-effects. So basically, as beer was swept through the streets knee-deep, most people did the only thing sensible. They grabbed whatever pots or containers they had on hand and rushed out into the streets to scoop up and collect this delicious brew. Many people were seen simply bending over or falling to their knees and lapping the beer up with their cupped hands. People who heard of this disaster from neighboring regions suddenly rushed to the site of the brewery as well to get their own healthy dose of free beer. Finally, and only after they had their fill of tasty ale and were fully satisfied, did the people actually get around to helping those around them who were screaming for help as they lay trapped or hurt by the flood. Another humorous moment occurred in the hospital, as dozens and dozens of people were taken to the local hospital with their wounds from the disaster, other patients and visitors at the hospital suddenly smelled the overwhelming smell of beer. A large group of these people angrily stormed the hallways and demanded they be let into whatever party was happening. And though they were on the verge of a riot, they eventually calmed down once they were informed of the flood of beer. Though I'm sure quite a few patients managed to sneak out of the hospital and take a trip to the brewery themselves to get their hands on some of the flowing beer. In the last instance of dark humor, relatives of one of the deceased had the drowned corpse of their family member on display in their home, and were charging locals who wanted to come by and see for themselves. During this bizarre death party, the house became too crowded, and in one of the rooms the floor suddenly gave way, leading to a group of people to collapse to the cellar below which was still half flooded with beer. Though a few were hurt from the fall, fortunately no one else drowned. The cleanup was long and messy as pumps worked constantly for days at a time to get rid of the ale left over from the flood. For weeks afterwards, the whole area just reeked of beer. The brewery was brought to court for the damage it caused, but the judge and jury found them not to be held responsible and that it was a freak accident, and that the eight people who ended up drowning in the beer were declared an act of God scenario and the fault of no one. Now this whole thing is really just one of the strangest series of events that I looked up in preparation for this episode. This whole sequence is almost unbelievable. Sounds like something you would find in a stupid comedy movie like Beer Fest or something. 
I'm sure there are quite a few people who would think drowning in beer might not be the worst way to go, but the London Beer Flood is definitely one of the weirdest disasters I've learned about so far, and one of the strangest ways that a person could die. The next unusual death we'll be talking about is a single particular case, and it is the death of Franz Reichelt, aka the Flying Tailor. So obviously Franz worked as a tailor, and was also known as an inventor, but he is most well known for jumping to his death off the Eiffel Tower while trying to display the effectiveness of his very own parachute design. Not the best idea. Uh, to me, this death is just equal parts tragic and silly. Franz had invented what he thought would be a flight suit that also doubled as a parachute that pilots could use. Now, to his initial credit, he did actually test his beginning design a few times by throwing weighted dummies off the fifth floor of his building, and several of them did touch down pretty gently. However, this original design was just way too big and heavy and bulky to ever be of practical use. So he attempted to refine his technique by cutting a lot of the weight and material and making the design more compact. For this new design, the dummies he used as test subjects crashed into the ground heavily. For some odd reason, he then tried to make several jumps himself wearing his new design. Perhaps he felt the dummies were apparently not falling well enough. Franz first tried jumping from a height of 10 meters, in which he instantly plummeted to the ground, but luckily landed in a pile of hay. For his next test jump, he leaped from a height of 8 meters, and again fell straight to the ground and broke his leg. However, Franz would not be deterred. His thought process led him to believe that the parachute couldn't operate at such small jumps, so obviously he did the next best thing, and decided that jumping off the Eiffel Tower would prove more successful. So Franz had actually been trying to get approval to test his suit for over a year at the Eiffel Tower, before he was finally granted permission to use the tower to throw one of his dummies off. However, when he arrived at the Eiffel Tower at 7am, he was actually already wearing his design parachute suit, and fully intended to make the jump himself, unbeknownst to the police and officials. Before he started climbing up the tower, he took the time to model his suit for some reporters. Franz then ascended the Eiffel Tower until he reached the first platform, which was a little under 200 feet above the ground. Two of his friends who came with him, now aware of his intentions, tried up until the last minute to dissuade Franz. They tried bringing up the obvious fact that his design had never actually worked before, and that the freezing weather and blowing winds had not made for an ideal setting, and finally that the drop still might not be long enough for his parachute to fully deploy. Franz was a man of resolve, however, and stuck to his gun, stating, You are going to see how my 72 kilos and my parachute will give your arguments the most decisive of denials, and also saying, I want to try the experiment myself without trickery as I intend to prove the worth of my invention. After these words, Franz stepped up to the railing, looked over the edge for about half a minute, and then leaped off the balcony with a smile on his face, ready to shock the world and prove that his invention finally worked. Franz Reichelt plummeted straight down without delay and slammed full speed into the icy ground below, dying instantly. His limbs were smashed, his spine and skull were broken, Blood sprayed out of his face from the impact, and his pupils were reportedly to be fully dilated with fear. Now, when I was researching this event and about Franz himself, this whole scenario kind of reminded me of when I was a little kid, and when I was carrying an umbrella, I liked to jump off small ledges and feel like the umbrella was acting like a mini parachute. 
In my childish mind, I thought if I had a really big umbrella, I could probably jump off the roof of my house and it would slow me down. Now obviously I didn't go through with this since even as a little kid I had a firm grip on reality and knew the dangers of falling. Unfortunately, Franz never truly learned this lesson. Finally, if you want to see Franz in action, you can find the footage of his fall online pretty easily. I saw this video before I knew anything about the man or what was about to happen, so what occurred came at a complete surprise to me. I have to admit that the first time I watched it, I couldn't help but find it a little comical. You see Franz modeling his design suit off for the camera, and he looks pretty eager and ready to go. Then you see him standing on the ledge, preparing and psyching himself up for his leap, before he finally makes up his mind and suddenly jumps off. Now just based on the video title and description, I had a feeling that things weren't going to end well, but I still expected to see at least something come out of his parachute. I mean, this guy just willingly jumped off the Eiffel Tower. But instead, you just see him fall full speed and then crash into the ground as if he had leapt off without any type of parachute at all. And I'll put up a link on our web post if anyone is curious to see this short two-minute film for themselves. As I said earlier about this case, the video is also equal parts tragic and silly. The last topic of our discussion isn't necessarily something that kills people, but it does have to do with death in a way, and is very interesting, so I wanted to share it with the rest of you. For this final part of the episode, I wanted to talk about Cotter Delusion which is an extremely rare mental illness in which the patient actually believes that they are dead. I would like to thank my girlfriend and longtime listener Michelle for suggesting this topic, and it definitely fits in with the theme of this episode. This very weird mental affliction got its name in 1880, when a French neurologist, Jules Cotard, was the first to describe this delusional belief. Cotard saw a patient who he named Mademoiselle X and this woman claimed she had no brain, nerves, chest, stomach, or intestines. Basically, she believed she was just an empty shell of a person with no insides to speak of, and therefore didn't think she was actually living. At the same time, this Mrs. X, strangely enough, also claimed that her body, as it was, was meant to suffer internal damnation and that she could not die. Due to her bizarre beliefs that she would live forever and did not actually have a body that needed any type of consumption, Mademoiselle X did not eat at all while suffering this delusion. And unfortunately, Miss X would soon die of starvation, proving that she was just a normal human after all, despite her strong convictions. Now, Cotter delusion, also referred to as the delirium of negation and the walking corpse syndrome, is very rare, but there are a decent number of recorded instances of this strange disorder. Some years ago in Belgium, a 46-year-old woman went to the doctor and told them that all of her organs had rotted away, and that she did not have any blood left. According to her, she had not slept in years, and hadn't used the bathroom in months. The doctors tried to show her that she was in fact still alive, by taking her blood pressure and having her hear her own heartbeat, but she believed that they were somehow tricking her. After all, she did not have a heart anymore. It took a few admissions into a mental health hospital, but fortunately after about a year, her condition improved, and she once again believed that she was among the living. Another interesting case happened in Greece in 2013, when psychiatrists there had a patient who completely believed that he had nothing between his ears. He was completely empty-headed. This man said he was born without a mind, and had at one time earlier attempted suicide, since he didn't really enjoy living without a brain like other people. However, after his attempt, instead of seeking medical help, this man simply decided to go back to work 
which might have been the problem all along. I can sympathize with this guy. I know there are plenty of times where I feel like my brain is melting away while I'm working. Anyways, after about another year thinking he was walking around without anything in his skull, he finally admitted himself and underwent treatment, and showed much improvement within just a few months. Now over the course of this podcast, we have discussed several cases of extreme and unusual mental conditions, such as the case of shared psychosis, which we covered in the Erickson twins in an early episode, and also in the death of Alfreda Knack. But this Cotter delusion is definitely up there as being one of, if not the, strangest mental illness I have heard of. I can't even imagine coming across someone who is completely able to function in everyday life, while simultaneously believing that they are actually dead, or that they don't have any organs or even a brain. The fact that this delusion has even driven people to their own death makes it even more bizarre, and fitting of being one of the strangest ways a person can die, in my opinion. And with that, we will wrap up the end of this discussion. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Strange Matters. If you would like to talk about any of the weird deaths covered in this episode, or if you have another topic that you would like to discuss with us, or even to suggest something for our future episode, you can reach us at strangematterspodcast at gmail.com. We have received a lot of great suggestions and ideas lately in the past couple of weeks. My co-host Eric and I really appreciate all of you who have sent in your strange subjects for us to research into. We promise that we are working on them as fast as we can and doing our best to get those finished so we can share it with all of you listeners. In the meantime, please visit our site, strangematterspodcast.com, where you can listen to, comment, and download all of our episodes. If you are listening to us on iTunes and enjoy our podcast and would like to help us out, please take the time and give us a rating and a review. We enjoy rating your feedback and it helps promote the show so we can reach even more listeners. Well, that's it for this discussion, so until the next episode of the Strange Matters Podcast, take care, everyone.